Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast with Brant Pasalakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, how do I teach Brahmana breathwork to someone who is struggling with grief? Anything where you're expanding the inhale is sort of technically a Brahmana breath. So the um, <clears throat> sort of the simplest version of Brahmana breath is having an even inhale and exhale. So a lot of people teach that and they teach it as kind of an even breath, but it's not because your, your exhalation is normally longer than your inhalation if everything's going well. So that's like a slightly stimulating breath. Um, and then the next step from there would be to add a pause after your inhalation. So, you know, say imagine an inhale for six, a pause for two, and um, you could start with like an exhale of eight. So you have that pause in there and that's an even breath as well. And then you could further expand that if she wanted. Now, the only issue is that Brahmana breaths can, while they're invigorating, they can also produce anxiety. So if she's fresh off of a, uh, you know, she's in mourning, you know, basically it's not always the best choice. And also but you just want to kind of monitor that. Like you don't want to push it so far that she kind of tweaks herself out, you know, as you hold, make through those holds longer and longer. Um, and the other thing to think about is you wouldn't want to do a Brahmana breath. That's all chest breathing. Cause you never really want to be all, ch- all chest breathing. So you want to make sure that she's using her diaphragm appropriately because otherwise she'll get a kind of bigger nervous system response, right. From that chest, chest, breathing situation and that can cause anxiety as well the other way you might want to work with it is to incorporate those ideas into moving and breathing so things like warrior one or um kind of like rolling bridges with your arms coming up over your head on the floor so you like inhale lift your arms and pause and then exhale those those work pretty well i I probably i generally prefer those to pranayama standalone you don't have to there's no set ratios you know um because people breathe really differently so you might notice i don't do a lot of counting or um some people take to that well but you really don't want somebody really pushing against their breath limits so you want them kind of naturally expanding so usually when you're working on that you know you go in stages which is inhales and exhales even then inhales longer than exhales and inhales and pauses that are longer than the exhale. <laughs> so you're sort of like kind of gently working up, finding finding where you can work comfortably. And then when, you, um, when you're exiting the Brahmana breath, you want to go out the way you came in. <laughs> so if you've worked up to inhale for eight, pause for four, exhale for six, like a big Brahmana situation, you step it down to whatever came before that. And then you step it down to whatever came before that. So you don't just end on the Brahmana and just stop. And that helps people kind of walk out of it without feeling bizarre mentally. I will tell you in clinical practice, it's very rare people are doing really big ratios. 
for most people, if you inhale for eight and exhale for six, say like, or something like that, like that would be, that would do it, you know, that would do it. So you can experiment with the longer inhales versus the inhales and the pauses. Yeah. With this kind of thing though, like you can do a lot, like if she laid down and did that bridge with all these holds, like, I mean, I remember doing that with Mark Whitwell. It's probably where I first did breath work like that and years and years ago. And like, you know, he put us on the floor and we did like, I don't know, 28 breaths, you know, it took a while. Like, <laughs> so you do have a lot of options or an easy option is like a, a warrior one, right? Cause it's a back bend too. And working the breath there and just have her do that. So you're sort of like giving her body, getting your body into the pranayama. That's worked really well for a lot of people I worked with. In the next segment, Brant discusses tips on how to support clients with depression. We just talked about this yesterday. I did a like final interview with uh, Christine Sari. You'll see she graduated and she presented a depression client who did really well. Um, but they had a system where this person um, was supposed to text her every, I can't remember what it was, two or three days and tell her what she had done. But like she needed the support. And I usually do stuff like that too, because it's sort of a given that the person's having trouble doing things. They're depressed. So they're going to need a lot more support than another client. So, you know, um, and the other thing with any kind of habits is you want to tie it to something else. If you tell your client to do this asana sequence, it has to be tied to something like before breakfast or, you know, when you get home from work or after you brush your teeth, it doesn't matter what it is, but um, all habit change research has shown that that is maybe the most important thing. There's something you're already doing and then you're adding, you know, this task, you're connecting to this task to something your brain's already got neural pathways for. So if you kind of just send your client off and say, do this three times a week, it's not going to work because they don't have like a system. Next, Brant discusses helping people from different cultures with grief as a yoga therapist. Well, that's why it's important to have like some like kind of definitions of like chronic grief versus yeah. grief. And, um, you know, generally as yoga therapists, we work with chronic grief. I don't know. I mean, I'm part Jewish, you know, that's like a year before you put up a headstone, like there's like a ritual and there's, I mean, makes sense, right? In a year you've gone through every holiday, every season, every, yeah. um, and nobody, um, kind of the purpose of that is like nobody is sort of encouraging you to kind of get back to it mm -hmm. before that time. Nobody's like, you should date. You know what I mean? Like right. people say, no, people think... say crazy stuff, you know, while somebody's yeah. actually grieving, but it's, it's also a nice, um, I think it's a nice way to think about it in terms of like where you, one might want to be, yeah. you know, if one's, if one's a year and a half later in their house with their shades drawn, you might have a problem. You know, the grief is like taken over, but, yeah. you know, you're going to have some some big moments. Not that a year is like a definitive thing or anything, but mm -hmm. it's nice that that even exists as like a right. paradigm. When you're talking about it just as a yoga therapist, you don't want to you don't want to say we because there's yeah. a lot of different people. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of different communities. So many cultures yeah. like in the U.S. and Canada, you know, yeah. there's just so many cultures that no, I think the I think the interesting thing is. Uh, on that a interesting thing is that um is that there isn't a cohesive culture right so you're right in that way like there's not a thing that we all do together people are in these little you know there's people with no anything and there's people in these tight-knit communities and it's all very confusing i sort of feel the same way about food 
you know, there's no like diet that we're all eating, right? Like most places, people eat the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the grieve in the same way. Like, yeah. like these are the what cultures do, but like uh I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying like in ours it's like so fragmented. Next, what is the purpose of creating a ritual for grief and what is out of scope for yoga therapists when it comes to working with grief? Yeah, the ritual is really there to um give somebody it has several purposes but the big one i think is that um you give somebody a place to experience yeah. their emotions because like you're saying you're walking around the world and it's sort of like you're half in half out to have a ritual around your grief where you have like a moment right to experience your feelings and with chronic grief it gives you the ability to put it away because you have to learn that too right like so you could put it away go do what you need to do, knowing your brain, you know, you and your brain together, like know that tomorrow you have this ritual waiting for you. And it's not, it doesn't sort of just leak out. This is for chronic grief, right? People, you know, I've seen people like eight years in, you know, that are not functioning well. And it's because they've never sort of developed that ability, especially if you have like really big things. I mean, everyone responds to things differently, but you know, like if a child dies or something, that's just like really complicated um i don't usually recommend you work too much with people that are like in their grief process i mean people can certainly do yoga and go to yoga class and all that but in my humble opinion uh just kind of allowing people to go through their process a lot of times people will come they're hurting so they'll come early on it's really not a great idea it's like they're raw you're getting into a relationship that isn't really in your scope you're not a therapist, you know, like a psychotherapist who might, if they do grief counseling, for instance, might have some things to say. Usually the way I kind of think about it is there's that ritual thing and also like getting people back in their body. Like when people have numbed out from pain, you know, there's a point where they have to reintegrate. So, um, you know, another way to look at the grief is that it's a trauma. That's something I think about. And you know, even if it wasn't a traumatic death, you know, but it can be really hard for people to like sort of accept and integrate that. So people can get very disconnected from their bodies. So often that's a place where they're useful, but not too soon. You know, my message to people is usually you're actually, you're okay. You're experiencing grief and that's unpleasant, but that doesn't mean you're not doing it right. Cause it's, it's easy if you get in there too early to sort of give someone the message, they should be doing something different than what they're doing. And that's, that's very tricky, tricky in the early stages of grief what is the definition of the early stages of grief well i would use that year parameter i mean it it doesn't have to be that way um and i'm not i'm not going to put it an absolute thing but you know your messaging should be yeah like you lost your father and that's a huge thing in people's lives um you know so you, you keep it pretty gentle you know so yeah, you know, if they're saying like, yeah, I just feel like I'm not in my body. I like, I've gotten numb, I'm depressed. Like, okay, well, let's do a little bit of this and that. But I wouldn't do that in the first, I don't know. I mean, personally, I, I prefer not to do that in the first six months. And I'm definitely more comfortable after a year. I've had losses in my life. And I, I mean, I understand it enough to know. I, I don't want to give someone the impression that I have something to offer that's going to be particularly more useful than time but it doesn't mean you can't work with someone there's no real depends how they present 
someone comes to you after three months and says, my partner died, I'm in a grief process, I have two kids, and um, this is like a true story, you know, and I need something so that I can function, and here's how I'm feeling in general. Like, I took that client, you know, because same kind of thing, like here's some breathing techniques, here's some embodiment techniques that might help, like here's, you know, some stuff that might help you sleep. Here's, you know, you're not doing anything wrong, but this person's like, I'm not, I'm not functioning well. And normally, you know, without the two kid factor, I might be like, yeah, you'll be okay. <laughs> not you'll be okay, but like, yeah, of course, like this is a horrible thing, but this person like had to work and they were sort of asking for help from, from that angle. It was a little bit less about getting them somewhere with their grief and just more about keeping them functional so they could do the things that they absolutely had to do. You know, the issue with any like kind of mental health thing, whatever it is, is that you're getting, you're getting cut off, right? From a yoga point of view, you're getting cut off from different parts of yourself. Your awareness is narrow, too narrow. And so sometimes introducing things that, you know, give the, give the person the ability to feel that thing they haven't felt in a while can be really helpful. How do I do muscle testing on someone who has had a double mastectomy recently? Yeah, so she's healed. And so it would just be a matter of finding out what her status is, you know, because lots of things can happen with scar tissue and such. But um, most people are are okay after a year. Um, sometimes you get a, a lot of sort of scar tissue and sort of fascial repatterning. I mean, the main thing with that is that they're cleared to be doing stuff, which at a year you would be. but that that's the thing you'd want to know because everything else still applies, you know, it's not like they removed muscle. You're just working with the same muscles. And often, you know, with anything that's so like a big surgery like that, like you're going to have just on a physical level, right? Like you're not, they don't really rehab you like you think they would, but they don't really, often they don't do anything. So people stop using muscles in the way they were using them. Of course, you carry yourself different, right? Because now your body's different. So all these things have happened. So, so like you're actually a really good person to work with at about that time. Sort of get them back to moving around the way they want to if they haven't done that yet. It's kind of sad. It's another one of those things that where they're like, we're done. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> High five, you know. How do I work with someone with core imbalance issues from a hysterectomy in the last two years? You know, you're going to have to decide like how you're going to work with her, right? Like where you're going to go first. You could, you could say, okay, let's do a bunch of physical stuff to get your body where it needs to be. And then we can tackle, you know, like you're saying, more like Vajnanamaya Kosha issues. You could think of it that way. Um, you can think about the whole thing as an embodiment exercise, right? Where, you know, I, I'd probably be pretty curious about if I could get her in her breath and in her body, maybe doing a body scan, if we could make sort of progress on all fronts, getting her like really comfortable, right? Like body-wise, um, and then of course you have the, like the Vijnanamaya Kosha world where you could give her meditations, but I, I probably wouldn't start there, you know, or maybe something more like a yoga nidra, like dropping through the koshas. Mm -hmm. So it has a little bit more of like getting her all the way to her core. 
might be a better choice, you know? And, and then there's a sort of, you'd want to go about it all gently because she's had a hysterectomy and she might have a lot of like uh, avoidance of, you know, I was thinking about like, like pranic avoidance, right. Of like all those lower parts of her body, just sort of not feeling herself, you know, internally, mm -hmm. like with her mind. Um, mm -hmm. So I would go slow. That's my point. Yeah. I would go very yeah. slow just to let her kind of reacclimate. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at breathingdeeplyyoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.